High in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and listeners like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from the writing of Proverbs 31. A woman of noble character, who can find a virtuous and capable wife. She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of his life. He finds wool and flax, and she busily spins it. She is like a merchant's ship, bringing her food from afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates, where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She watches carefully everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all, he says. Charm is deceptive and beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done, Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. My guest today is Pastor April of Emmanuel Temple Church, a woman with a love of people and a desire for unity. I definitely would hold her up to be a true example of a Proverbs 31 woman. Has anyone ever said that to you before or called you that? I've heard that before. Excellent. But can I say that I've lived up to everything? (laughs) Absolutely not, but it's a compliment for sure. So you're not planting your own vineyard and spinning your own wool with your twisting fiber fingers? Oh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to the mall when, you know, when I'm up to it and picking up my wool. (laughs) But what a compliment, though. I've heard men that are out dating women, and they might be on a dating app or they might just be out having blind dates or dating in general, and they've all thought, gosh, if I could find that Proverbs woman, that woman who I'm attracted to, who makes me laugh, who maybe even likes to stream the same shows I do on Netflix, but also has that love for God. Yeah. So that's you. And and by the way, she's married, people. So (laughs) you are not on the market, but nonetheless, um, yeah, very thrilled to know you. So did you ever have an experience of salvation that called you to preach? Um, Absolutely. And what's funny about it is that I often say, I don't want to be behind the pulpit preaching. 
But what I've found over the years is that just having a love for people and wanting to spread the gospel, spread love to people, um, whether they're inside of the church, outside of the church, I've always felt like it was my calling to connect to individuals and speak good things into their life, which is pretty much preaching, even if you're not standing on a pulpit behind a podium. Yeah, I think you can definitely speak the word of God in actions and deeds and words. And I think having that pulpit, though, really allows you maybe to touch more people and minister to more people in the community, do you think? I believe it does. And what's really funny about that is I don't spend a lot of time behind the pulpit. And what I often say to my bishop is that, you know, my pulpit is in the grocery store. My pulpit is in the community. My pulpit is in the police department. My pulpit is where I'm employed. And so I take that pulpit with me everywhere I go because I do believe that it's not just about walking in the church house, but being the church wherever you go. So you can take the woman out of the church, but you can't take the church out of the woman. Absolutely. I like it. I think Acts 6 is a really great reminder that it's really not possible to be doing ministry of God without doing the ministry that God has called you to do. So you truly feel that you are doing what he called you to do. Absolutely. Um, Again, it's about the people. Recently, as we speak about being behind the pulpit, um, I spoke about building the kingdom and use me so that I make a difference. And building, I had mentioned that it's oftentimes people will um, imagine a structure. But when I think of building, I think of people. And so people are my ministry. And when I'm out and speaking life into people, when I'm out serving people, when I'm just loving on people, I believe that I am definitely doing what I've been called to do. Nice. And I think you're so comfortable and you're confident and capable about it. And it's nice to see you out being biblical and godly in the community of the Portland-Vancouver metro area. I think you are touching people all over and not because you're a hugger, but because you are so effortless to speak, to preach the gospel. So what does the Bible teach about women in pastoral ministry? Well, it's funny because there's a lot of controversy there. And you'll hear um, where people will quote the scripture about the women being silent. But I believe that all of us, whether we're men or whether we're women, we have a place um, where we can preach the gospel. And again, it's not necessarily in the church house. It's by our lives. I think when you're talking about Christianity and maybe showing people what a Christian is, it's not that person who is just there in the pew on Sunday, but maybe that person who lets you cut in front of them at the grocery line or that person who maybe has a moment to stop and say something kind when you really look like you could hear a kind word. Right. Right. Exactly. And sometimes we underestimate what being a Christian is, and we think it's this Exactly what you said, being inside the pew, um, showing up for church every Sunday. But church really starts on Monday. So you walk out of those doors, and because you are the church, you never want to forget that you as the individual are the church. He said, I'm coming back for a church without a spot or a wrinkle. That building that we walk into every Sunday is pretty dirty, especially if you don't pressure wash it. So he's not coming back for the building. He's coming back for us. For the people. I like that. What do you find to be some of the most important ideas and practices that really cultivate the health of the congregation? Number one for me, and it's not saying this just to say it, but it's love because Mm. it covers a multitude of faults and sins. It's amazing that when you truly, genuinely love someone, not that you just let them get away with everything, but you're going to continue to love them no matter what they've done. 
You're going to continue to forgive them. And I remember years ago um, when I first gave my life to Christ and I opened up the Bible and I thought, oh, this is a lot of stuff. Where do I start? But as I began to flip through the pages, I saw scriptures about love so often. And what I said to God was, if this is real and if this is the way that you love us and desire for us to love one another, teach me how to do this. And I found that, and it was prophesied in my life and spoke over me that God has anointed me to love the people. So over the years, one of those major things is love. We've definitely got to have that. So take some time and luxuriate and paint for me that picture of what you feel a real vibrant Sunday worship experience is like. Oh my I come from um, the Pentecostal church, so vibrant. <laughs> That's colorful. For, that is very colorful. <laughs> so vibrant for us in a Sunday church service. We come in prepared because we come with the Spirit of the Lord already in us. We don't have to come in and wait for the worship team to get us reared up and, you know, push on the gas pedal for us because we've already put our foot to the gas pedal <laughs> before we got in the door. But a vibrant service means that, before services started, there are people that are already interceding in the church. They're already praying for God's spirit to reign in the house. There are people that are praying for souls to come in that didn't even think they were getting up that Sunday to come to church. So we're praying before church starts. And when we start at that 11 o'clock hour, we go into a praise and worship with music. And it's all about giving God glory. So everybody's worshiping. The musicians, they may not be able to get up and sing, but when they're playing the keyboard, they're worshiping God. The worship leader and the worship team, they're going forth, and it's not for entertainment, but it's so that they can touch that one-man audience, which is God. They are not entertaining us. They're touching the Father. So vibrant worship for us on a Sunday is phenomenal. And at the end of the day, it's about God being glorified and about souls coming to Christ and people coming in and being set free from those things that have held them bound throughout the week or throughout their life. So that's a vibrant worship time for us. How does that translate over into home goings or celebrations of life or funeral services? I imagine the same thing. The worship team gets together. There's that sense of, okay, we are honoring that person, giving the glory to God. Do you see that same translation happening? Absolutely. So when we know that we've died in Christ, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we're celebrating that individual's life, even though there's going to be tears, even though there's going to be some people who don't feel the same way because you miss that person. There is literally, in spite of all of that, there is a celebration about that person's life. There is a celebration knowing that there's no more trouble that they have to go through. And now they are going to meet the father that we've lived for all of these years, the person that we said we were here to serve, the person that we gave our life to, the person that loved on us and called us into the Christian fold, we're celebrating that individual's life with music. We're celebrating that individual's life by speaking, you know, who they were, not just as an individual, but who they were in God and who God was to them. And so there is definitely a celebration that occurs. Sometimes someone may break out in a dance and, you know, the tambourine is going and the music is playing and we're up and we're clapping our hands and we're thanking God for that individual that we know has gone on to be with him in glory. 
Yeah, I, I've seen it in action. I felt it in action. And to hear you really talk about this, and I think for listeners, I think this is such an important thing because the Christian church, um, we definitely revere those who've died. I think that we also sort of navigate deaths in this church by saying it's God's plan or God knows what he's doing. He'll be in heaven, those sort of things. And what I love the fact you're sharing here is what do we do while someone does pass away? They're in the house of God. How do we get forward with that? And um, when Crawford Broadcasting, who is one of the parent companies here at the KKPZ, came to me, they had talked about a show on death and dying. And how do we really talk about how we move from one step to another with practical tools, with spirituality, all of that. So if you can talk to about some of that for us, if somebody comes to you in the church and somebody is either dying, loved one is on hospice or sitting next to the bed, um, they're having someone who just died, how do you even know what to say? Sometimes you don't always know what to say. But because we do have several individuals that we walk alongside in these situations, it's not a, a routine. You write down the script, and this is what you say every time. You work with that individual as an individual. That situation may be different from the death that occurred the day before. So sitting with that person, even if, whether they're a Christian or not, number one, how can I assist you and your family? because that is showing your Christianity. How do I assist you? Um, while they're watching their individual loved one um, go through this process of death, being there as a support, there are times when you can be in a room with someone and it's not necessarily your words that are comforting them. There may be times where you're sitting there and you're just holding their hand. There may, t may be times where you just bring something for them to eat. And then there's other times where you're sitting with them and they're asking questions, you can't always necessarily say, this is the Lord's will. It's not comforting to them. It could be very disturbing to them. So I would always, and, and if I could use the word advise, is that when you're dealing with family members who are losing someone, you don't necessarily tell them it's the Lord's will. But what you can do is just be there as a support. What you can do is let them know that you're praying for them. What you can do is let them know that I'm going to go by the store and pick some things up for your family. Not always that it's the Lord's will. What you're saying is perfect. I think always being told, well, they're in heaven now. You don't have to worry about it or you shouldn't be sad. You should be happy because they're, they're at home with God or everything happens for a reason. That falls flat. Sometimes and I think people worry about going to a pastor or going to a clergy person and talking about this because what they're afraid of, I think, if you don't have a belief structure or maybe even a relationship with that clergy, that all they're going to tell you is, well, did they have Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Did Were they born again? Is this something they've always had in their heart? And if not, we're going to be in trouble and we sort of need to pray them into heaven. And I think that's scary for people. And that's also passing a judgment. And we don't have that Ooh, right. Good point. We don't have that right. We don't have the final say. We don't know that if in that person's last breath that they made a connection and went into relationship with Christ. We don't know that. So it's not okay for us to make that assumption. And why are we asking at that point anyway? That individual is no longer there. We're there to serve the loved ones that are still here. 
we're here to provide comfort for them. Do we have to walk up to them and say, oh, your loved one went to heaven? We probably shouldn't be saying that either. We don't get to determine where that individual goes. God has the final say. And I don't care what their life was like. Again, it could be in their final breath that they got their life right with God. But we're there to pray with that family. We're there to just be a support. And sometimes praying doesn't mean that you're opening your mouth up and verbally praying. You can be praying in the spirit, inside your spirit, and covering that family while you're washing the dishes for them, while you're helping them clean up, while you're helping them take care of their um, younger children. Is there anything that you can recommend to help somebody with the challenge that they have to their faith when the circumstances of death are present? I think there's an anger with God that happens, that sort of thing of, hey, that's not fair. Um, maybe, again, no, I don't care that there's supposed to be a reason for everything or there's God's plan. This isn't my plan. <laughs> I imagine that anger happens. What can you say? It absolutely yeah, does that. happen. We're not imagining it because we see it. And you have to allow that person to walk through that journey. If they're going to be angry, just sit there with them, listen to them, allow them to speak their anger. As long as they're not hurting anyone else and they're not hurting themselves, allow, allow them to voice where they're at because, you know, they really are angry. They're angry because, again, God has the final say. And in a situation like that, they may think in their heart and their mind, well, he could have just let them stay here. If somebody didn't really have a relationship with the Lord and then someone passes away and it gets them to thinking and they're kind of broken open a little bit and they're a little bit more open to these things, what type of path, I'm not sure if you can give a clear one or not, but what sort of steps can people take in faith to ultimately get to that goal of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ? So if they're in that time of grief um, and they're thinking about it, is this are you referring to the individual who is passing? The person who's the, alive and the person who okay. now never really gave God, church, any of that a thought. But maybe the person who died said, hey, you need to get right with the Lord. Or they're so thrilled they're going home to Jesus that the person starts getting the wheels turning, thinking, gosh, you know, this pastor was really lovely to me. And I did find some comfort at this funeral, or there was some words said by kind people, whatever the circumstance might be, because of course, God opens that door, however he does. How can you give somebody who doesn't have any fundamental Christian background, what type of anybody listening right now who thinks, well, you know, I think I would like to be closer and have a walk, but how do I do that? How do I do that? First of all, we're to be open and to first hear what that individual um, has to say. What are the questions? What are they curious about? Don't immediately jump in and start telling them, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. Maybe you need to share about the love of Christ and he loved you enough that this individual would pass on what they believed. Or once they, you've had that conversation with them, you're just simply showing them the love. And then you're talking about the love. And then you're telling them how to get to Christ. There is scripture that says that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. And sometimes we can open our mouth and confess, but because we're still curious, we don't know how to 100% believe. But also letting them know that it is a journey and it's a process. And a baby doesn't come out the womb walking. So even as us giving our life to Christ, we're newborn babes and we confess with our mouth and we begin to believe in our heart that um, 
Jesus was raised from the dead and even prior to that, that he died for our sins. You walk with them through that process. And it's not just in that moment, but you walk with them. You continue to walk with them because it is a process. But just invite them to Christ and just talk to them about his love toward them. I want to ask you about the Bible. I have a woman who decided that she was going to give Christianity a hard look. And she had her grandmother's Bible. And she said, I'm going to start at the beginning. And I'm going to read this. And I think she got not very far. And she said, this just doesn't speak to me. This is too old fashioned. I can't understand. It's like reading Shakespeare. So I've heard pastors often say, well, open it up and start at John or Matthew. So start at something a little bit more, even Proverbs, something a little bit more common to life. If somebody is interested in reading the Bible, where do you suggest they take a look? I often say, go to the Psalms and read about the Psalms. And oftentimes when you go in and you read about the Psalms and how David began to open up to God, and then you get into the stories about who he was as a person and how God still loved him. And he was just an individual after God's own heart and how he knew how to worship him. It, it, it shows relationship. It shows how relationship was built. It showed how they had conversation with one another in a sense. And so I, I would direct them to the Psalms. Do you think Christian churches are growing in spirituality and numbers, or are we on the decline? We are definitely on the decline. Um, and I think we're on the decline because people are knowledgeable. They want to know more. They don't want to just show up for church on Sunday morning. They're more into their spirituality as opposed to, I need to be in a church house. So a lot of churches are closing nowadays. So there is a decline. Do you think it would help if churches had an app? I think that works in some cases, but not necessarily. I just think in some ways we need to get back to the basics. And the basics are, and I'm always going to mention love. <laughs> we have to get back one. to the basics, being an answer for the world, being able to meet the needs of the people, because that's why Jesus came. And so it's not about our titles and people serving us, but how do we serve the people? How do we meet the needs of people, whether they're homeless, whether it's single parents, whether it's a family who needs counseling, you know, whatever that is, how do we become more of an answer for those who have a need? Do you find with churches, rather than them just being open for one generation, if they have that leadership, the mentoring for the next generation, is it easy to develop leaders with the youth in the church, hoping that would continue the flow of the door being open? Well, there's a lot of talk around that and um, generations and the, the new generation that's coming in, the millennials and, you know, put them up front and do this. Um, if I could, and I may not be answering this exactly how you have oh, asked whatever it, you have but, is beautiful. Um, what I think is important is for us to connect the generations. Um, sometimes you have the generation that's here and they don't want to hear anything from anybody else because, oh, they know it all. And we don't know much. We're, we're a little too old and we don't know it all. Or we, they think we don't know anything. But I think it's important to connect the generations. Just um, being in the church, 
oh, I believe I was around the seventh grade, and just the respect that we had for the older women in the church. They may not have had the education that we have, but I often say you might have a PhD, but they were in the B-I-B-L-E, and so it's worth sitting at their feet to gain some wisdom to gain some wisdom because you don't know it all. So if we emphasize that more, connecting the generations and not just forgetting about, you know, the older crew, um, I think the churches would grow and they grow healthier. What you said was so clever. Can you give that analogy again? (laughs) And so you've got the generation here and they've got the houses and the cars and everything, but I often tell them you may have a PhD, but the mothers of the church have been in the B-I-B-L-E, so you need to sit at their feet and gain some wisdom. That spells Bible. <laughs> That's great. That is so good. So have you ever heard of the concept of the blue flame? I have not. I'm thrilled to share this with you. All right. So there is this idea that we all have a gift given to us, a spiritual gift from God. And it's how you fill up your love tank. And you really can't give water to another person if your bucket is dry. So you need to have something inside you that propels you forward. So I'll give you an example of this. There's a woman who has a spiritual podcast. She has six children. Her name is Jennifer. And what she says is her blue flame is researching things. And she says she can get on the internet when people are sleeping. She can do this um, in the middle of the night. And this doesn't make her feel like she did in school where it drags her down. She's researching for sermons. She's researching for podcasts. And this gives her that sense of purpose. It gives her energy. It makes her feel invigorated. And this is something not only she has for herself, but because she knows this is her gift, she can take the time to do this. She's able to give to others. So is it, some people say, well, it's it's my cooking. I'm able to give to others because of food or what have you. What do you think is your blue flame? Oh my goodness. My blue flame is definitely being able to work with individuals um, who have lost their loved ones. And let me even change that. It's not even working with them. It is serving them. Those who have lost their loved ones. And we often have, um, you know, the titles again, and you're a pastor, and and I know we honor that office, but at the same time, I can step away from that and just be that individual who serves because Jesus came to serve. And so serving individuals who have lost their loved ones, and whether it's on a crime scene, whether it's planning for a funeral service, whether it's um, creating a program for them, whatever it is, bringing food to their home, having conversation, that is my blue flame because I'm able to give back. And sometimes when you're in a situation like that, you feel like you've lost all control. And so you just want to be able to come back and just serve them. Just be able to say, not necessarily it's okay because it's bad sometimes, but just to come back and love on them. And um, yeah, my blue flame is just really serving people. And that way, you know, that time was worthwhile. I mean, your blue flame could be watching all eight seasons of Dexter or something on Showtime. And, you know, that probably isn't necessarily giving back. Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe not giving back the way uh, God intended that to be. Anything you want to leave us with about how to go on and serve? I would just say, whatever you do and however you serve, do it as unto the glory and honor of God, because we can do things in front of individuals to be seen, for our names to be called out, for us to be patted on the back. But at the end of the day, only what you do for Christ will last. So do it for his glory. 
You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Pastor April, a Proverbs 31 woman. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.